Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Are you looking for a roadmap to financial freedom? If so, we have a solution for you. Narada Real Estate is offering a limited number of free strategy sessions to help you get out of the rat race. Learn how you can create wealth and build monthly passive income. To set up a time with one of our knowledgeable investment counselors, simply go to naradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. It's my pleasure to welcome Aaron Chapman to the show. He seems to be a regular guest here. Aaron is a 21-year veteran in the finance industry with a focus on the real estate investor. He has a great team of 11 staff members who help him finance investment loans all over the country. He's been married for over 22 years, has four great children, and has been a volunteer with the local sheriff's department rescue unit for nine years now. Hey, Aaron, welcome back to the show. What's up, Marco? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Keeping busy. How about you? Oh, well, it actually shows that I am a regular guest, it seems like, but I guess it's been far enough back that there has been some changes. So a little bit of that information there. Part of it is I retired from the sheriff's office a few months ago and no longer participating in the day-to-day rescue stuff. It's my travel and all the business that's been going on has not given me the availability to be there as often as I could. And I hated people having to rely on me to be there when I couldn't. So we have since retired from that. And now I have four more staff members. They're not really staff members because they can't necessarily report to me, but I have four people assigned to me directly, that is closers and underwriters. So now my team consists of folks from the very initial phone call with the real estate investor all the way to the check it and cut, including all the processing and underwriting. All that is all part of my whole group of people that work very closely together. So it's been an exciting couple of months. Interesting. Well, I didn't know that. And we actually spent about four days together just a few weeks ago in Washington, D.C. and in Baltimore, and I didn't know you made those changes. So congratulations. Well, it's one of these things going from one thing to the next so quickly, you don't even think about it, right? We spent, what, four days together in D.C. meeting, and yes, with our focus being meeting with senators and Congresswoman Waters, chief of staff, and all those folks out there, and the target that we were working on there, we didn't have an opportunity to catch up on the personal side the way that I guess we should have. True. So true. Well, today, let's talk about using the equity that you have to buy more rentals. I think this is of interest to a lot of people. And one of the reasons is this. Many of the clients that you and I work with, whether together or separately, seem to come from these expensive states. They have properties. Often they have rentals that have a lot of equity in there, and they just don't know how to tap into that equity. And many times these people, particularly from California, people I call equity rich and cash flow poor, have a lot of equity in their principal residence that they're not utilizing. And I often refer to that as dead equity or dormant equity because you could turn it into cash flow, but just sitting there in your residence or in your properties is generating a rate of return equal to zero. So let's educate our audience a little bit here into the ways that they can do that. So first of all, let's talk about the different options available to them in order to tap or strip that equity from their properties. What you want to comment on that? Well, yeah, first, I want to just kind of back you up on one thing you said about the equity itself. Unused equity is useless equity, right? And you're not putting it to work, not doing you anything. It's really just a figment of your imagination until you actually access it and use it. And as far as different ways I've seen people strip that equity or put it to work is, is mainly through the refinance. I mean, there's always the 1031. You can always sell 
and then use the 1031 and deploy them to multiple properties. That is one strategy that's pretty commonly used. The other is doing the refinancing. And many people get really hung up and sometimes it's like, well, if I'm refinancing it, the interest rates go up or if I'm stretching out that time frame and I'm beholden to this loan for longer, I always think it gets back to the thought process of a consumer, which you and I have talked about many times, is they need to pull their mind away from being a consumer to now a business owner. And a business owner or a CEO of a, a real estate investment firm is going to take a deeper look at it than just that surface information of, oh, my interest rate just went up a half a percent, or now it's stretched out from a 21-year payoff, and now it's 30 years, or now I owe more in this form of debt, when it's really not debt, it's an additional asset to your business. So a refinance, and I always typically will look at the 30-year fix. Anytime we can get a new loan, 30-year fixed, that will fix that payment, you are actually setting yourself up for a much more stable platform will take those funds and put that to work because now you know what that payment is going to be for 30 years. There's not going to be any adjustments in that. You're not going to have to adapt to that kit to the cash needs for an adjusting interest rate. Additionally, because of inflation, we've talked about that before, inflation actually erodes that debt for you rather rapidly. We know today that when you look back on statistics or at least the inflation data, they claim it at around a 2% target, but that is also a cooked number because it doesn't add in all the cost of living. So with inflation going between 5 and 6% on an annual basis, and it's eroding that payment for you because that fixed payment, anything that you strip out today and put to work today is, and is going to grow for you while the payment requirement is diminishing because of the dollar's value. So I will always advocate a 30-year fixed. Yep, I agree. So let's talk about that. Well, before we do that, let's just look at the other option because this is not necessarily an option I like or advocate, but it is an option. That's a HELOC, getting a home equity line of credit. Do you think that's a good option for some people, especially people who have a lot of equity in a principal residence, as opposed to refinancing with a 30-year fixed? The way I see a HELOC playing a really, really good part in all of this is I would take, let's say you have a pretty significant amount of equity. Like you said, you're in California and you've got people with a ton of equity in their home. Well, if we're able to take that equity and get a 30-year fixed up to say 80% of the value, right? And then you have like 100 or whatever available to you in fixed funds to be able to put to work and actually use as down payments. So that's the fixed. I always use, if you use down payment money, I always advocate using that fixed money, a 30-year fix. Now, let's say you have a bank that says, we'll go up to 90% of the value. Let's say you have another 50, 60, 70,000 available to you in the form of a credit line. I would get that credit line, but do not use that for down payments. I don't agree with that. I think that's actually very risky. So I only advocate the use of a HELOC for being able to use use that burn method, right? To be able to pay cash for a property and then put the rehab costs into your closing. And then when the rehab is complete, then we'll do that 30-year fix, delayed financing, pull the cash back out, go up to 75% of the after repair value, or I guess, you, but you can't exceed the amount you paid at closing. So I always direct one to have their purchase price on the as a line item on the settlement statement when they pay cash. Plus, take the bid from your contractor when you're doing all your due diligence and add that amount to the settlement statement as well and another line item, the rehab cost. So that way, they're all together at your closing when you pay cash. And the title company can then deploy those funds back to the contractor when the work is done. And we can get, in many some cases, if the property appraises high enough, all that cash back to you in a new refinance on that property. Now, the reason I don't advocate using a HELOC for your down payments on more properties is because now you have this variable item. A lot of people like the fact, well, it's interest only. Well, it's interest only for 10 years. 
After that, it reamortizes to a 20-year note. If you go to a point where I have seen people do this, you think 10 years is a long time. It's not that dang long. It's not all of a sudden you have got all these properties that you've been using a HELOC for your down payment. And the HELOC starts, the interest rates start to go up. And then it goes into a point where you cannot use it as a credit line anymore. It's no longer interest only. Now you're looking at that rate now fixed in for that remaining 20 years at a higher point. You're no longer cash flowing. You're going to your pocket to make that HELOC payment. Your business is not taking care of itself. You need to engineer it where your real estate investment business takes care of the real estate investment business and eventually takes care of you. But if you have to go to your pocket because of using some method that was faulty from the beginning, you don't have a business anymore. You have a liability coming from you. Yeah. So HELOC is best used like a hard money loan. It's good for short-term money to buy, fix, and refinance and hold. In other words, what they call the BRRRR method, the B-R-R-R, which is buy, renovate, rent, refinance, and repeat. (laughs) That's an active approach to real estate investing. But you would use hard money, private money, or your HELOC to do something like that. So it's short-term but expensive money. Yes, it can be used as a down payment. I know people do use it that way. It's not advised. But the key there is you want to be able to pay that off as quickly as possible. It's an interest-only loan. It doesn't necessarily amortize. And thirdly, it doesn't give you that 30-year benefit of having a fixed interest rate for a long period of time. So you really have two options. You have a HELOC, you have a refinance where you pull equity out. Now, I assume on your refinances, they're typically up to 80% loan-to-value still, correct? On single family, on your owner occupied, you start getting into the investment properties, you're going to be capped at 75%. Okay. You get into a multi-unit investment property, you're looking at 70%. Okay. So on one to four unit residential properties, you can refinance up to 75% loan to value. So when you refinance, you can calculate how much equity you're pulling out. Obviously, you have to have more than 25 to 30% equity in that property in order for this to make sense in the first place. Otherwise, you're really not pulling anything out or very little. And a key point to make here, too, is that it's tax-free. When you refinance and you borrow that money, it's a loan, and that's tax-free. So you're essentially borrowing equity out of your property on a tax-free basis in order to leverage it into more properties that you can add to your portfolio and increase your cash flow. So let's talk about this. When does it not make sense, if there's even an answer to this question, to refinance your rental portfolio? Rates probably play into this, but does it make sense all the time or are there times when you shouldn't be doing a refi? I would say the times that it does not make sense is when you don't have a deployment process, right? If you're just taking it to take it and you're like, well, maybe I'll find some property, maybe I won't. Cash as a way is making its way out of your account into something, right? People are very, very good at letting their accounts act like a sieve and just bleed money out. You need to have a deployment plan. We're human beings and they are frail in many ways. And sometimes it's justifying the use of those funds for something else. So I would say get a plan in place for your deployment of those funds and work that plan. But also make sure you have some sort of method of calculating what you're willing to deploy it towards. I had one individual who had made a goal. I'm going to buy X amount of properties this year. And he went over whatever means he had to to buy those properties. Well, now he's in a bad spot because he was just using any method necessary and getting any property necessary because he had a goal. Sometimes your goal has to have a little bit better plan than just a goal. So I would advise getting those people around you, the people you trust, your representative with Narada, myself and my team, and let's talk about your strategy before we pull that money out. The other thing is to be sure that whatever you buy has the ability to service that expense, right? Because whether you call it good debt, bad debt, or asset, whichever way you refer to the loan, it still has to be serviced by the business. 
make sure that you are whatever you're purchasing, whatever you're putting your money into, will actually be able to put enough return to service that expense for you. And don't make the mistake of looking at your pro forma and thinking that, oh, all of a sudden now the cash on cash returns are minimal and I'm getting hosed. Because many times people are forgetting that those are based upon an 80% loan to value or 75% loan to value, and that you're bringing the 25 or 20% from your personal assets. But the second you take it from another property, you refinance that property, you've increased the expense of that servicing that note, that will have an effect on that return when you calculate it on a cash on cash return model. I will always advocate to somebody, if you're getting any cash flow at all, you have to determine what that minimum cash flow is. But if you're getting cash flow, that means you are servicing 100% of that asset and not a single dollar left your pocket to do it. You took it from another property's equity and you inject into another property and then you got another loan to do that. You have financed 100% of that new asset. If that asset pays for itself and continues to pay down that note, your return is incalculable. Because if you invested 20% of, out of after a previous podcast we did, if you invested 20% on a $100,000 property and somebody else pays down the $80,000 note or the 80% note, your 20% increases by 13.33% per year as long as somebody else is paying down that note. So 13.33% of the original 20000 But if you're financing 100% of it and it's getting paid down and you're making a cash flow, there's no cash on cash return model on that because you don't have no cash invested. So when you think about that, it's impossible to calculate that because you're not, any dollar you're making is free money coming to you. So as long as you're choosing property with a team to work with, choosing the proper properties to invest in that will stay rented or has a draw from rent as far as renters to go into that property, and it's paying for both the note that you refinanced and the one you financed, the 80% on the new loan that we did for you here with my team, you're creating money out of thin air. So there's no way you can look at that negatively. Well, what you're saying, Aaron, is that the rate of return is infinite. It's not that it's impossible to calculate. For listeners to know and understand what we're talking about, you're borrowing equity that has a zero rate of return and turning it into instant cash flow. And the rate of return is infinite because you didn't put anything into it. All you've done is taken the equity that's been created in another property, turned it around and turned it into a return that's an infinite return. The other comment I want to make, too, is that for those listeners that didn't catch that 13.3%, that is a calculation on the rate of return using the equity gain out of the amortization of the loan. So every month and every year, the equity is growing in your property because the tenant is paying down that loan for you. If you look at how much equity you've gained over the course of one year and look at that as a return from your invested capital, it turns out to be on average over a 30-year calculation, I believe you said, Aaron. 13.3%. 13.3%. Is that true? Correct. So, you know, a person can't just look at an amortization, ta- amortization table saying those first two years, you're going to be at 13.33 because it's front loaded with interest. But then you can get into the tax benefits on that and it's, it's still going to get you to a very, very close number. Yeah. I think you average that across the 30 year amortization, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Because if you take the $80,000 divided by 30 years at $2,666. And 66 cents per year averaged over 30 years, you divide that into the initial 20% or 20,000 that you know, puts you at 13.33% if you average over 30 years. Right. Okay. Now, when it comes to pulling equity out and using that equity as down payment towards building a portfolio, what are your feelings or thoughts about doing the refinances one at a time on those rental properties versus doing a 
what is often referred to as a blanket mortgage. In other words, a refi on multiple properties at the same time where you have one mortgage loan collateralized by multiple properties and then pulling that equity out. I like both options, right? So if you're in a situation where you've got one or two that has a significant amount of equity you can pull from and deploy that capital, yeah, I think it's very, very situational, but I think that that's a great idea. If you've got, say, 10 properties and you've maxed out your 30-year fixed loans that you can get on the conventional world backed by Fannie and Freddie, there's outfits out there now that are getting more and more lenient with these blanket loans, then it makes sense to be able to do something like that on a large scale. Now, I get a lot of people calling me saying, hey, I've got these three houses that they're like 60000 a piece. I'd love to do one loan. Well, you can't do that. It's too darn expensive to do a blanket loan on three properties. Cross-collateralization with legal fees, it gets really expensive. If you've got 10 properties or eight or whatever it is with a significant amount of capital, I'd advocate that all day long because then it does two things. One, you've got one loan, blankets, multiple properties. You've got a pretty serious amount of capital. Now you need to deploy it, right? Well, you've just paid off all those properties, taking them out of the Fannie Freddie type of environment, if you will, because I always advocate in that world, since you're using a commercial institution to finance it, put it in a commercial entity, an LLC or something to that effect that will now take it out of your name. You've got that cash that you can deploy. Now you can redo those 10 Fannie Freddie loans. Again, use that as your acquisition engine. Use these blanket loans as your warehousing type of engine, if you will. So you have an acquisition capable of your low down payments, 30-year fix, finding properties one at a time, but then move them into a big warehousing type of instrument like a blanket loan. Are these refinance options easier, more difficult, or just the same as the initial purchase money mortgage that people used to buy these for properties in the beginning? It's just the same. It's still a debt-to-income ratio, credit score, property value, and loan size, and loan to value. It's all going to be the same. For some reason, the marketing that has been done by the banking industry has made it seem like when you own it, now all of a sudden there's a special opportunity to be able to get you a better, simpler process. It's not. We still have the same rules to live by. We still got to prove the same thing. We have a whole new group of funds coming in to pay off the old loan. It's going to go to somebody else. Whoever is funding that loan is somebody different who funded it the first time, regardless of what bank you're paying. And this is a strategy that we can employ time and time and time again. It's really just a matter of how much equity do you have in your property or your properties and how quickly does that equity accumulate? We know that properties double in value on average, and I'm saying generally speaking, every 10 to 12 years. It actually ranges from 7 to 20, but we typically see a a 10 to 12 year doubling. So if you have an original mortgage, of $80,000 on a $100,000 property today. And in 10 years, you have a $200,000 property. You still have that $80,000 mortgage. So you could refinance that at, I don't know if you can go 80% in 10 years, but let's say 75%. That's a $150,000 loan. That gives you, I believe, $60,000 in equity to use to put towards an additional one or two more properties. So do you have to wait 10 years? Not necessarily. Just depends on how much equity you have, how many properties you have, and how many properties you can tap that equity into. So this is a strategy that I think works very well to grow your portfolio quickly and accelerate what you're doing, but you need to have a conversation with a guy like Aaron Chapman to strategize how you're going to pull that equity out. And of course, talking to your investment counselor here to figure out what's the best plan and have the next steps laid out for you. So when you have that equity coming out, you're already in a position to add those additional properties to your portfolio. So Aaron, is the process something that can be just queued up with you, create a file, 
and then it's ready to go each and every month or every six months or every year as needed. It's just a matter of refreshing files, the, the statements that you have in the file. Pretty much. I mean, if it's something that we have, we've already worked with that person in the past here within our organization, we're able to literally duplicate what we already have, hold of them. One of my team members will get in touch and update some of the data that's in there that needs to be. And then we start a whole new file for them. So not having to go online and recreate and all that. But once that's recreated literally, and we update it, it's just a matter of updating data from them as far as the income and asset information. And we just punch it through. Okay. Sounds good. You know, I don't want to make this sound like it's a complicated thing, but using your equity to buy more rentals is not a complicated thing. And it's something that a lot of people don't even think about or even know about. And it's something that obviously you should look into because it helps you get to wherever you want to go quicker in terms of your financial goals. What else do you want to share with our listeners before we wrap up? Because this is obviously an interesting topic, but not one that's overly complicated. So it's really just a matter of exposing it. The main thing I want people to think about is what do they want to accomplish all the time? Always be considering where it is they want tomorrow to be for them and take the time to give that thought, give those quiet moments, and then reach out to those people who you trust, your investment counselor, reach out to me and my team, and let's discuss it. The best thing you can possibly do is put good thought into what you want the future to be and then get to work creating it. Well said. Well said. Very good. Aaron, thank you for coming on again. Tell our listeners how they can find you or get more information about you and your company. Just run out to AaronBChapman.com. We're trying to actually revamp that so it's not just such a boring freaking website. So get on out there, check that out, get in touch with me through that. My assistant, Samantha, if you connect with us, we'll try and set up a time where we can block a half hour, 45 minutes where you can take a deep dive into your scenario. I'm not always that reachable, but I always want to be able to set aside the time park that really detailed moments with you because if I don't schedule it, I end up getting caught up in other things. I'd rather block that time for you, turn my back to the rest of the world and focus on your particular conversation. Right on, right on. All right, Aaron. Well, hey, thanks again for coming on. It's always fun having a chat with you. Always a pleasure, brother. Thanks a lot. Are you on track to achieve your financial goals? Income-producing real estate is the most historically proven way to accumulate wealth and has created more financial freedom than any other means. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best turnkey cash flow rental properties. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly income. Get your free strategy session with our knowledgeable investment counselors at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.